Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of Scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy, folks. It's your host, Kingdom Moments, with yours truly. One of the things I want to do with this episode is that you might get to know me a little bit better just as a person. There's a lot of dynamics that have forged the man that I have become, and none of that has been possible. Uh, without the intervention of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to share a little bit about my testimony, how I came to faith in Christ to a certain degree. Uh, My friends will think it's something out of Ripley's, believe it or not. And of course, those who don't like me very much, uh, give them a lot of fodder, (laughs) a lot of ammo. (laughs) Yeah. And all I can say about that is uh, I may be... uh, crazy, but I'm screwed on to the right bolt. And I am, and I'm willing to be a fool for Christ. Uh, And understand, brothers and sisters, this this broadcast is not about me. Uh, You just get to know me, and that is as far as it goes, then this is really not going to benefit you the way I want it to benefit you. There is somebody I want you to know, and it's his name. Whole purpose of this broadcast is to glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to advance His glory and His kingdom. That's what we're commissioned to do and want to be about my Father's business. So, we're going to talk a little bit today about salvation. You hear that a lot. You hear the term salvation, even in movies. Redemption. Uh, of course, when he's headlines or these movies talk about redemption it's usually somebody who's very screwed up you know had a bad life just what did they do you know we have this faulty view that if uh, you know if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds maybe God's gonna give me a pass now that may be the world's redemption but that is not God's salvation Scriptures are clear on this. We are saved by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through him. It says, not of works should any man boast. It is the free gift of God. And so I'm going to make myself a little vulnerable here, and I'm going to share with you how this free gift came to me. Now, I've got to tell you, it's going to be weird. I'm preparing you. But this is the gospel truth. I can tell you this. Uh, I was not looking for God. Uh, I was raised uh, in an atheist home. My dad was a hardcore Marine atheist. If you know anything about Marines and ex-Marines, yeah, they're a whole different breed of man. And being the firstborn son, the pressure was immense. You know, you couldn't show weakness as, as a boy. Uh, God help you if you cried over, 
you know, struggles of life. And uh, I was raised on the mean streets of Richport, Connecticut. So like 90% of my neighborhood was black and Puerto Rican. So I kind of knew discrimination from the other side of the tracks. It always amuses me when people talk about racism, this, racism, that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not just a one-way street. <laughs> it's definitely many streets that can lead to racism. It's just kind of weird in America. Like the only one that can be a racist is white people. You know, white supremacy, white privilege, all this gobbledygook, all this nonsense. No, uh, racism, prejudice, bias, it's just a product of a sinful human heart, you know. And thanks be to God, and, you know, Christ removed that. It's it's just interesting that in the Lord, in salvation, um, there's no Gentile, there's no Greek, there's no male, there's no female, there's no bond or free. So like the three areas that the enemy of this, you know, the, the enemy and the, the spirit of the age exploits is like social class, you know, battle between the sexes and the, the battle amongst the so-called races, you know, in Christ, he, he removes all that. We could be one new creation in Christ. And that means God loves us all the same. There's nobody superior, nobody inferior when it comes to the salvation of God. And so, you know, I just want to say that up front. So, but I was, I, you know, I was raised, um, you know, with street gangs and a lot of partying, a lot of violence. Um, literally, I had to fight uh, as a way of survival. You know, I kind of look back at my father and, uh, yeah, he was, he was one of those guys that was sort of in the home, but missing in action. You know, he kind of spent more time at the bars, um, you know, gambling, womanizing. You know, I can remember when I was seven years old, he, he sat me down on his lap and uh, he was going to teach me what it meant to be a man, you know. And so I remember him giving me a shot of booze, putting a cigarette in between my lips and talking explicitly about womanizing and sexual conquest. And so, you know, that's how I grew up. I thought that's what it meant to be a man. So grateful I met my Heavenly Father because he uh, he obliterated that from my soul and gave me his meaning of what it meant to be a man, quite different than my earthly dad. And by the way, my earthly dad uh, did repent and come to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Maybe sometime I'll share that testimony with you. It's powerful. But anyway, um, yeah, drugs, fighting, uh, womanizing, you know, running on the mean streets, and, uh, you know, that was my life, and my worldview at that point, kind of raised in an atheist home, was, yeah, you eat, you drink, uh, you fight, uh, you know, a womanizing kind of lifestyle, and, uh, and then you die, and then you become food for the worms. Uh, it's really interesting, I guess, in some ways, I was seeking the supernatural when I was a kid, um, I'd go to bed at nights, and I, I would have this thought process, and um, I guess I was finite, seeking infinity, trying to understand the meaning of life. Like, is this a cruel joke? Like, honestly, because I, I could tell you, I, I, I was tormented. I, I really, really was. And, and if I wasn't beating up on flesh and blood, I was literally slamming my own face and head into brick walls, and I mean, literally blood 
coming down and I was just screaming out in torment. There was something inside of me. There was this beast and it was just torturing me. And so if I wasn't hurting myself, I, I was hurting other people. In fact, by the one right before I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I was plotting the murder of my mother. You see, back then, I, I didn't know there was uh, power in the tongue. You know, the scripture tells us there's a death and life in the power of the tongue. And because my dad, at that point, abandoned my mother and, and us children, I really wasn't fulfilling his duty to love my mom and take care of us as a good dad. Like, he did provide, uh, but again, morally, spiritually, he was totally missing in action. And my my mom suffered because of this and because she didn't know the Lord. She didn't know she was loved by God. She took out all her disappointment and misery upon us children, you know. So we got a tongue lashing like every single day. Like I hear the same story over and over and over again. And honestly, I, I, I was just seeking to put her out of our misery. So so we wouldn't have to be compelled to join in that misery. And so the Lord really came to me at a very opportune time because uh, I had murder in my heart. I was plotting the murder of my mom. And, and then when I fought, I became more fixated, not just knocking people out or incapacitating them. I, I really wanted to kill them. I wanted to stomp them to death. And there's a lot of reasons for it. And maybe some other times I get more into my testimony. But I will share one thing because I think this is where I became broken. Um, I, uh, how, are we, how are we doing on time here, honey? How much? 12 minutes in. 12 minutes in? Yeah, I can't see anything. So, um, But yeah, I, uh, I was um, playing football with my white friends and you know, we got jumped a lot um, being raised in Bridgeport, Connecticut by the minorities, you know, the blacks and the Puerto Ricans and kind of football was paid back for us. That's, 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 how, we, that's how we paid them back was on the football field. And, and so we played football and um, I had to get home and feed the dog. That was my chore I had to do. And so I crossed the street and uh, these four guys came up to me, uh, two blacks, two Puerto Ricans. And I could just sense, okay. <laughs> It's this is going down, and I was trying to play it cool, and and I kind of they came up to me and they said, "Do we? Do I have a dime?" I'm like, "Dudes, like I'm in the same neighborhood, you know, that you guys are. Do you have a dime?" And uh, yeah, I was just trying to kind of play it off, and I bent down and was tying my shoelace, and one of the Puerto Ricans had one of those pointy little boots, and. He just kicked me right dead in my forehead. And as soon as he did that, I saw red. And I had a very explosive temper, very short fuse. And as soon as he kicked me, I leaped up. I jumped on. He was on a bike. And we went over. And I just grabbed his ears and started pounding his head on the sidewalk. And, of course... The other guys, they get off their bikes, they drag me off of him, and he goes into his pocket. And I'm thinking, okay, Puerto Rican, usually a switchblade. And so, yeah, I'm going to get stuck today. I'm going to get stabbed. Um, I, and I was actually relieved because when he reached into his pocket, he actually pulled out a padlock 
with a chain on it. And I thought, definitely better than a knife. I may be able to survive this. And this kid just wailed on me. No mercy. No compassion. He just kept swinging that thing. And I had like bloody knots like all over my arms, my head, my face, my chest, my back, my legs. And he just kept beating me. And um, he finally, he stopped and they drove off. And I, I was literally like laid out in a bloody knot mess. And what broke me was not the beating as severe as it was. I literally crawled home on my hands and knees for like two and a half blocks. And part of the, the street I went down was Main Street. This is Main Street, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Cars going by, people walking by. And I'm literally crawling home and just, you know, bawling, sobbing. I was a young kid. I was, you know, I don't know, nine, ten years old, something like that. And I think what broke me was not a single person stopped to help me. And I thought, what insane world is this? Like, really? And that's what I would have these philosophical struggles. Like, is this, is this a cruel joke? Like, why are we here? Like, what's the meaning of life? And I, I, I could remember uh, just lying in my bed going, okay, if I wasn't here, what would be here? Like, would I be in some other kind of form to perceive this life as insane as it is? Or, or then I would go like, okay, what if there was no human beings on this planet? Like, who would be here to perceive life? And I could remember just going, going down that road and, and I was seeking answers and... It just got to the point where literally uh, my mind just tilted. It just go, okay, just stop. I just go, you know, like the pinball machines, you know, how they tilted. Yeah, I would just tilt. Like, oh, I can't get there. I can't get there. And this is the, the profound part of this, brothers and sisters, because when I got to that brokenness where I tilted, it always ended with my death, where I was six feet under the ground, looking up, here lies Rusty Thomas. Every time I went down that road trying to find the meaning of life, it ended with my death. So, no answers. And so, you know, there was times that I would just scream out in torment. And I, I guess in some ways that was my feeble prayer to cry out to somebody somewhere. Can, can you end this nightmare? Can you stop this beast that's devouring me and devouring others? And so that was, that was pretty much my, my way of life. That was the condition that I came into this world and grew up in. And so one day, you know, I get, uh, I get a phone call from my first cousin, Natalie, and uh, she calls to tell me she's pregnant. And I'm like, say what? I said, I'll, I'll be right there. And uh, so I, I, I hitchhiked from Bridgeport, Connecticut uh, to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And I needed to let you know a little bit about my fighting style. Um, a lot of the fights were just spontaneous. And I not only fought, you know, for me, I fought for my brother and my sister and cousins and stuff like that. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, fights came like just from my brother. You know, he, he was a loud mouth. He was a punk. And, and then when, you know, people retaliated, you know my brother. And they go, no, his name is Rusty. He's going to kick your butt. And I'd be walking down the street, you Rusty. Yeah. And then it was on, you know. And so that was like my life, you know. But when I knew I was going to get in the fight, I'd go into this kind of demonic psych thing where 
I would look the person that I was going to fight in the eye, and I'd walk very slowly, very deliberately up to them, just to freak them out, get them off their game. And so I'd be staring them down, and the closer I got, like their eyeballs be, you know, go like looking here, looking there, like who is this dude? He seems like he's got bad intent, but I don't know. And just walk up to them, not say a word, and just boom, cold cock them. And uh, and as soon as I punched them, I didn't stop. I mean, there's times like I punched guys down, they're going down. I punch them back up again, and uh, there was times, you know, I just slammed them into brick walls, slammed them into cars, you know, literally when I got them down, stomped them with my boot. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was really intense. And so, you know, I hitchhiked 300 miles to confront this kid that impregnated my cousin. And, uh, and so I tell Patalee when I got up there, point him out to me. And so she, she points me out to this, you know, this young man, and he, he wasn't nothing. He was just a regular kid. He wasn't big or anything. And and so I thought, no problem. And so I go into my demonic site. Now, what I'm telling you is the gospel truth. This is how God got, initially got my attention. And so I'm walking toward him, and I'm going into my demonic psych. I'm going to freak him out. I'm not going to say a word, and I'm going to beat him to a bloody pulp. And so I'm walking towards him, and... All of a sudden, gospel truth, I land, I, I, I ran into like a brick wall of air. Like there's air, there's nothing physical in front of me. And three times I try to pass to hurt this kid. And three times air actually repels me. Like I ran into something physical that repelled me, but there was only air in front of me. Now, again, I'm, I've been raised in the atheist home. I don't know nothing about demons or angels or the spiritual world. Okay, uh, all that matters is matter, <laughs> all right? And so this, <laughs> there's air, and behind that air, there is some matter that is physically repelling me from hurting this young man. His name is Danny. And so, of course, I'm freaking out, you know. Um, I, 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 I go back to my cousin. I'm like, I don't know what in the world is happening here. And I'm pacing back and forth like a tiger in a cage. I am all pent up. And I'm going through all kinds of mental gymnastics. Like, what in the world am I dealing with here? And so I'm pacing back and forth. And finally, I decide, okay, I'm just going to talk to this kid. And when I decide I'm just going to talk to him, I'm allowed to pass. And so I go up to this young man and I say, um, do you know who I am? He goes, no. I said, do you know why I'm here? And he said, no. I'm going to tell you why I'm here. I'm here to hurt you. And I'll never forget his response. He goes, you can't hurt me. It is like when he said it, like there was something inside of me that says, that's true. I can't hurt him. <laughs> But I had no earthly reason why I can't hurt you. So, you know, I asked the million dollar question. All right. Why can I not hurt you? And folks, he said the name. He said the name. The name. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all I could tell you 
he said that name, something jumped on me like white on rice in a, you know, winter storm. And I'm like, dude, he said that name. Like, there's something going up and down my spine. Like, my, my, my hair is up on end. He got me feeling kind of funny. <laughs> and he goes, oh, that's just the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Well, here comes Mother Mary. Let's party. Just being a punk, you know. And uh, the weird thing is I end up going home with this guy. And so I leave behind my cousin and my aunt and uncle. And I, I go to his house. And his family, like, took me in. And I was sort of, like, in heaven in a sense because I grew up on the mean streets, the, the concrete jungle of Bridgeport, Connecticut. This family was out in the forest. They were out in the rural area. They were out in, you know, trees and, you know, rivers. And so all they had was, like, Jesus in the woods, you know. And they, oh, they had these, like, four-wheelers. like man, And they had, like, swings you know, from the trees into the, into the lakes, and yeah, it was a whole, it was like a culture shock to me, and got to see how other people lived, and it was, it was pretty awesome, and um, so different than what I, what I knew, and so anyway, they, they invite me into their home, and boy, they bring out the long knives, I mean, these guys are serious, since I got in there, man, they opened up the Bible, and they start ministering to me, the gospel and uh, and they it, it was so strange because it was definitely god dealing with me preparing me because by the time i got to new hampshire i had run out of drugs and the only time i laughed or smiled is when i was high and really my whole life's purpose from the time i woke up to the time i went to bed was to get high and if i wasn't high i was looking to get high that's how i spent my life and so the drugs had run out and so they're telling me about jesus they're telling me about the gospel and again i was like miles have been speaking to me in a foreign language because that is so like <laughs> that is so not what i'm used to and uh but here's the amazing thing every time they said the name jesus every time they quoted the scripture like it was something like bubbling up inside of me and i found myself smiling but I, I had no earthly reason why i should be smiling why i should be feeling it wasn't the term is not happy i, I found out later the term was joy i was experiencing something that i didn't think existed in this world and it was just bubbling up. And so, man, they're just like, they're going at it. So they invite me to go to their church. And apparently they got on the horn. <laughs> letting, letting them know that they've been like ministering the gospel to me. And they invited me to church. So they got the whole church geared up for my visit. They probably hadn't seen a sinner probably in five years, you know, at their church. And I came in with the red ass, like, sinner, you know. And so, yeah, they must have been really praying for me and all that. And uh, I will make a confession that I, I did visit two churches uh, 
in my boyhood. But both times I was stoned out of my mind. And there were two Catholic churches, so I really didn't get much out of it. But but this was my mentality, at least, so you could get a frame of reference where I was coming from. Like when I went to the Catholic Church, it was like like the priest had it. Like he, he had whatever it was. And he's like, I'm giving it to you. So when I went into this church, whatever it was, everybody had it. And they were giving it to everybody. <laughs> That's the only way that my atheistic mind could like discern what the heck was going on, you know, at this church. And so, uh, so here's what happens, brothers and sisters. I am um, sitting in the pew. And I'm at the end end of the pew. Like they're, I'm here, and they're all the family's right besides me. Don't remember what the, the preacher preached. It probably a good message. I remember it. But they did they did do altar calls at this church, except it was a little different. Um, they didn't like lead you in, in the so called sinner's prayer. Um, they just invited you to the altar to wrestle with God, to deal with God. And I'll be honest with you. Um, I knew I was the only one, like he was speaking to me, even though he's making it general, I knew that he was speaking to me. And quite frankly, I was embarrassed and I didn't want to do it. And so the family, of course, like they really want me to do this. So I begin to feel some pressure, pressure as they're scooching, they scooch me, trying to push me off the, the, the pew into the aisle to go. And I, I just stiffened up. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And we left church. And of course, they were disappointed. And, you know, by that time, I hadn't gone about a week. And, I, you know, I'm just 16 years old. And so um, I tell them I'm going to go home. And they go, please, to stay one more week. Go back to church. And um, I wrestled with that. And I decided, okay, I'm going to stay for another week. And it was about halfway through the week that a real powerful struggle came into my soul because like, I'm thinking this through and I'm going, man, I can't go back home, a goody-goody religious guy. That's not going to fly. My dad's an atheist. You know, I run with street gangs. Like, you got the wrong guy here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this, I can't. It's not me. It's not me. And then I'm thinking, like, okay, if I do this, does that mean I can't get you know, can't have sex anymore. I can't do drugs anymore. Like, what's... I, I just could not imagine life without street gangs and, and running around and getting high and fighting and doing all the stuff that I was used to. And so I'm really having to struggle with this. But at the same time, something was compelling me. I mean, I was just being compelled. And uh, so I go back to church. And uh, at that point, whoever this Lord is, I know I'm coming. Like, it's a done deal. You know what I mean? Just, you know, fire the shot, you know, lift the, the deal so I can run the race kind of deal. And uh, so, yeah, he, he preaches the message. He gives the altar call. Now, the way I'm going to describe it to you, it was just the sensations that I was going through. Um, yeah, I got up out of the, the pew and I walked to the aisle, but honestly, what it felt like, guys, it was like I was on a wave. Like, I, like this wave was like carrying me to the altar. That's what it felt like. It was like a sensation. Like I was being carried like by this wave to the altar. And I, I remember getting on my knees and up to that point in it, I, I, 
I never talked to God. I didn't know who he was. And that's not, I didn't even know who the heck I was. And I certainly didn't know the magic words. I didn't know how to make contact. And so I'm struggling. I'm like, yo, God, who are you? You know what I mean? How do I do this? You know? And I'm just like wrestling at this altar. And then finally the preacher, he got up, you know, was a little bit merciful. But he did get up in my face and he said, Rusty, if you want something bad enough, you go out and get it. Now you ask the Lord into your life. Whatever he did, something broke. And I cried out to the Lord. And all I could tell you is the power of God hit the top of my head, surged through my body. And as it was coming back up, all the hate, all the demons, all the drugs, all the alcohol, all the perversions just like spewed out of me. And then a love I never knew existed just flooded my soul. And I'm sobbing and then I'm laughing like joy unspeakable, full of glory. I am weeping and laughing at the same time. The church empties up puts their hands on me. And at that point, I literally felt like I was levitating between heaven and earth. I'm telling you, that's exactly what it felt like. And they start singing in a language I never heard on this side of, of, of eternity. And I was just elevated. Unbelievable. And then all of a sudden, God comes along and just, boom, lays me out. I am knocked out. And I'm not having any dreams or visions. He just lays me out. Well, apparently I was out for about an hour and a half. People are leaving. <laughs> the family was left behind. They were the ones that had to get me out and lock the door. But here's the incredible thing. They laid me out in the backyard in a cemetery. Now, when I awoke, I didn't see here lies Rusty Thomas. But I was in a cemetery. And guess what? This time... It didn't end with death. It ended with eternal life. And that's, uh, there's much more to this story. Maybe some other times I'll get to it. But that's how I came to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, folks, uh, this Lord I'm talking to you about, he took me out of a deep pit. And he set my foot, my feet, upon his rock. And he's given me a new song to sing. And with this second podcast episode, that's the song that I'm singing to you. It is the Lord's redemption. And so when we talk about salvation, when we talk about redemption, understand what that means. It means saved from danger. I had a beast from within that was devouring me. I was a danger to myself and to other people. The greatest deliverance I ever experienced is deliverance from me. And you need to be set free. But the Bible also tells us that there is a being called Satan. There is a demonic realm of darkness. There is this being who's come to kill, steal, and to destroy. And there's an illegitimate world system out there with all its lights and images. And that system is in rebellion to God's loving and just rule. These are the three enemies that are arrayed against you. And they were arrayed against me. But when Christ went on that cross, he interposed between us and those three enemies that were intent on taking us on 
and taking us out. So when I ministered the gospel to young people, the way I kind of present it is he took the spanking for us. The spanking that we deserved for our failures, our disobedience, our sins, and our mistakes. He took that spanking for us. If I talk to adults, you know, I kind of put it in military terms. You guys have seen the movies, right? Where they're in battle and then the enemy throws a grenade and there's always that one soldier just out of pure instinct jumps on the grenade to save the life of his fellow soldiers. And understand, when, when Christ went to that cross, he jumped on the nuclear bomb of our sin and God's wrath and anger towards that sin. He absorbed it into himself. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to provide a new way of living. So I'm going to end with this. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. I want to read it to you straight from the Word of God. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Bible says we just don't go to church, we become church. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So again, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Your past life, all your sins, all your mistakes, all your disappointments, all your hurts, all your sorrows, all your regrets, washed away, never again to be held against you. The Bible says God will separate our sin as far as the east is from the west. He will cast it in a sea of forgetfulness. That's what God does through Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. New life, new Lord, new way of living. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And perhaps the next episode, I'll go into the two words that define the gospel, the evangel and the kerygma. Till next time, God bless you, saints, and keep pressing on to the high calling prize. In Jesus' name. Mm-hmm.